Well, we're, uh, we're continuing on in our series uh, that we're calling Beloved, Become Who You Are, the fine print there. Uh, and we're drawn from this book from Henry Nouwen that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Um, his book is titled Life of the Beloved, and the subtitle of his book is Spiritual Living in a Secular World. And some of you remember, we're here several weeks ago when I talked about this book uh, that he wrote really to a, a secular, a non-believing friend of, of his um, about the spiritual life. This, this friend had asked him to write to, to, to him and to his friends, non-believing people, about the spiritual life and to try to connect some of the dots. And Nowen uh, prayed and believed and trusted that, that a word would emerge that would help him to communicate the spiritual life to his friend Fred uh, more than anything else, that he would remember that word, and the word was beloved. Uh, Nowen talks about it as, as this, this way in which God interacts with humanity, this, this, this most revealing truth, he says, this, uh, this, this word that reveals the most intimate truth about human beings whether they belong to any faith tradition or not. They are. We are. I am. You are the beloved of God. The word that describes the heart of God for every person he has made. Every person he has created. Just as the words of the Father rang out from heaven as Jesus came up from the waters of his own baptism, so the words of the Father ring out from heaven over you and over me. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. You bring me great joy, other translations say there. Jesus brought the Father great joy. And what we're trying to get across in these days and in these weeks is this simple reality that the same is true about you. And that's hard for us to understand, as we've said, especially because of a lot of the voices that we hear in the world, both inside, within, and from without, telling us the uh, uh, other, other things about us. Uh, but we're learning, and li- learning to listen for the voice of God that tells us who we are. What if, to follow the line of the question in this video, what if we were to really begin to live in this new year, this new decade, right in the midst of whatever circumstances you find yourself in, right in the midst of maybe some, I don't know, some, some messy times relationally or in your, in your work or in your families, whatever it might be. What, what would it look like for this truth even in the midst of just how you felt about yourself when you went to bed last night or when you woke up this morning, how would it, how would it, what would it look like for this truth that you are dearly loved by God to begin to take tangible and, and, and make uh, tangible and just visible expressions in your life in the way that we, in the way that we uh, eat and drink and talk and love and work and play? How might it begin to... To, to work its way into us. Um, it's one thing, again, for me to sit here and to tell you that you are the dearly loved of God. 
it's, it's another thing for you to begin to actually believe that a little bit, and for me even to believe that, but it's a whole other thing for that reality then to begin to work its way out in our hands, in our feet, in our voices, and our minds, and our attitudes. It's in these weeks we're being invited to lean into this reality and to close that gap between what we, what we know, what we think we know at least, of who we are in God and the everyday realities of, of our lives. So we're, uh, we're also leaning into John 15, and I want to read it for us again this morning and let this just kind of be the backdrop again, sort of set the stage and, and, uh, and just kind of help us I keep sitting on this cable and it's really bothering me so I have to fix that wire really quick um, John 15 can we turn there and let's all stand together let, let me read it for us John 15 1 to 17 and again a spiritual divine reading of this allow these words just to penetrate and permeate your core let maybe one phrase maybe Maybe a certain phrase will just kind of catch hold this morning and ring true. And if so, resonate with that and let that sort of just speak to you. Let the Spirit speak to you even as I read these words. I'm the true grapevine, <clears throat> and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. It's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. 
Nowen offers the four actions of Jesus as he served the last supper to his disciples as a possible framework for understanding what it looks like to live the life of the beloved. And this is what we've grabbed onto just as Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, so too, we're saying, do we come in touch with the ways of being the dearly loved ones of God when we understand ourselves to be taken or chosen, um, blessed, as we talked about last week, broken and then shared or given by God? And specifically for today, and perhaps the hardest of these four to, for us to think about, it's when we are uh, laying claim to the realities of being people who are chosen by God and people who are blessed by God, and only then that we can begin to come face to face with the reality of our brokenness. A brokenness that we know to be a part of our lives, but we don't necessarily like to look at too closely and too carefully too often. But to be the beloved means to be invited to, to, to come face to face with open eyes and with open hearts and to acknowledge the brokenness in our lives. I'm learning a lot about construction over these last couple of weeks, more than I really ever wanted to know necessarily, but um, it's, I'm sure it's just good general knowledge that everyone should have. Uh, so if you, if you want any, me to share anything, I'll, I'll do that. One thing I sort of knew already, but it was reconfirmed a couple of weeks ago, and simply this, is that on the day when you are hoping to demolish a floor of concrete, it's, it's bad if the jackhammer breaks. That is not a good thing to have happen on concrete demo day. And uh, that is exactly what happened. And uh, I know Rick has a lot of fun with this. He's, he's taught me in the construction uh, industry that, that uh, people often say it, it just broke. And... Uh, as opposed to saying, I broke it. <laughs> and so I don't know if somebody broke it or if it just broke. And thankfully, there were lots of other things to do for the guys uh, that day who were hoping to jackhammer while the jackhammer was being repaired. But it was just a, re a reality, something that the most important tool, the necessary thing that was needed for that day, for that moment, just wasn't available. Not because it wasn't there, but because it was broken. It just wasn't ready to function as needed. It just wasn't up to, 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 to what it needed to be in that moment. Um, again, sometimes we break them. Sometimes they're just broken. And I, I, I think that just speaks so well to our own lives. Sometimes we feel like we did something to cause brokenness in our own lives. Sometimes we... We can acknowledge the, the things, the choices that we've made, the decisions perhaps, the, the steps that we've taken that have brought brokenness into our lives. And then other times we just kind of look around and we say, help, I don't know, it's just broke. 
I just feel broken. And I look around, maybe it's the circumstances in the world or the circumstances around me. Maybe not caused necessarily by any of my choices particularly, but just this situation that I find myself in. You, you know, newsflash, you are broken. I am broken. We're broken people. Our brokenness is actually so visible and tangible and concrete and specific that it's really hard to think about any of ourselves as anything but broken. And to gather in a gathering like this with people to know that, that, uh, that we're broken. It takes a lot of different forms. We heard some of them in Psalm 42 this morning as Teresa read. Day and night, I have only tears for my food. My heart is breaking. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad, the psalmist wrote. Now I am deeply despairing. For some of us, our brokenness looks like loneliness. It looks like isolation. It feels like fear. It feels like insecurity. Sometimes our brokenness looks like just discontentment with our, our work. It looks like frustration with our families. It feels like confusion. Sometimes it's painful separation. Sometimes it's disappointment. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's uncertainty. Sometimes it's just feelings of being overwhelmed. Sometimes it's just being worn out. Some of you, some of you roll in here this morning and you're just wiped out, exhausted. Now and writes this, I'm deeply convinced that each human being suffers in a way that no other human being suffers. He goes on, no doubt we can make comparisons, we can talk about more or less suffering, but in the final analysis, your pain and my pain are so deeply personal that comparing them can bring scarcely any consolation or comfort. In fact, he continues, and I think most of us would agree, I'm more grateful for a person who can acknowledge that I'm very alone in my pain than for someone who tries to tell me, that there are many others who have a similar or even worse pain. <laughs> Just let that kind of sit for a minute and remember that. Our, you see, our brokenness is as unique to us is as, as is our chosenness or our blessedness. And the suggestion here is that just as we need to claim our chosenness, we're chosen by God, just as we need to claim our blessedness, God blesses us, we need to lay claim to our brokenness as well. It wasn't long ago when our dear friend Trish Guileen sat here on this stage in her wheelchair, her body slowly being taken by ALS, and many of you will remember her, 
I, I just started to call them talks with Trish on Sunday morning as she would be thinking throughout the week as different things that God would kind of open up to her and in her leading worship would just kind of look at Jeremy and say, you can stop playing now, I need to talk for a little while. And many of you will remember one in particular where she sat here and um, she told us, I, she told me, I, as I sat right there, she told all of us that she had kind of come to grips with the reality that she was willing to be a, a visible demonstration or representation of all of our brokenness. And, and she, was, she was offering herself to us as one who was physically broken, but also one who had really clear perception into our hearts and our minds of our own brokenness and willing to offer herself, knowing the brokenness that we each experienced, offering again herself sort of as a symbol of that brokenness. And inviting us to, uh, to, to, to live into it, to, to claim it for ourselves. Um, it's interesting, this week I was uh, taking the Enneagram assessment. Anybody done the Enneagram? There's a few of you that maybe have done that. And it's kind of a personality type, you know, Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finder, you know, discover more about yourself. And... Um, it's been really helpful to a lot of people. It has some really um, sweet spiritual application. So I was taking this, and well, you know, I'm always interested to find out more about myself. Uh, but it was interesting to me how I was answering these questions. Um, and the Strengths Finder, and some of you are familiar with that, and in the top five, my number five is positivity. And... Uh, I don't know what questions I answered in that assessment to get positivity, but evidently it believes by whatever, however I answered that I can see the best in just about any possible situation. And some of you who've been around me, uh, you know, to some level, you would say that's, that's, that's true. But it was so interesting as I took this Enneagram assessment, first assessment I've taken in a few years of any kind, really. And I was looking at these questions that were asking me about, uh, you know, my, my ability to see the good in bad situations or my willingness to, to kind of uh, embrace my, my melancholic moods. And I was, I was so much, <clears throat> I, was, I was so less quick to circle five on the everything's great type of questions. I was so much more quick to say, eh, actually I'm all right with it being bad. I'm, I'm okay kind of simmering in my melancholy moods every once in a while. And I, I, uh, I begin to think that um, my sense is that something is kind of changing in me. That's, that's okay, right? <clears throat> and I'm wondering if things are maybe changing in all of us. And my sense is that um, 
especially for those of us who walked with Trish through that season of, of life, through her failing physical health, and all the emotional brokenness that came along with that, if we haven't all become a little bit more in touch with our brokenness, and, and if we haven't become just a little bit more willing to stay there in our brokenness, Nowen says that there are those with physical and mental disabilities, economic poverty, those in homelessness, but still generally, he says, our brokenness is an inner one, a brokenness of our hearts. Again and again, he says, we see the immense pain of broken relationships between husbands and wives, parents and children, friends, colleagues, even those my words now, who seem to have it all together on the outside. The suffering that seems to be the most painful is, is that of being rejected, of ignored, left alone, unappreciated. I remember when, I've shared this with some of you, but I remember when my daughter was in high school and uh, she cried herself to sleep on more than one occasion, just the joys and perils of adolescence. I was driving down Cathedral Oaks one day, kind of thinking about her and wondering, you know, what was it about her issues, or does she need to see a counselor, or this or that, and I looked over at a bus stop, and there was a adolescent boy just sitting on the bus bench bawling his eyes out <laughs> and I just remember maybe the Holy Spirit kind of whispering in my ears in my heart just simply saying everyone cries everyone cries you're not alone when you cry I think is what I want to remind us of. From time to time, maybe it's not every night, but when you cry yourself to sleep, you're not alone. So, so how do we kind of respond? We, we, don't, we don't want to chase our brokenness away, but how do we respond to it? Nowen offers a couple of suggestions. First he says, befriend your brokenness. Befriend your brokenness. And that's so counterintuitive. It seems so unnatural. It goes against the grain of everything that we feel inside. Our spontaneous reaction is to run from our brokenness, to avoid it, to ignore it, to circumvent it, however we need to, to keep it at arm's length. It's usually welcomed as an intrusion, if at all welcomed, into our lives. And uh, we want to avoid it. He writes again, my own pain in life has taught me that the first step to healing is not a step away from the pain, but a step toward it. Yes, we have to find the courage to embrace our own brokenness, to make our most feared enemy into a friend, and to claim it as an intimate companion. Um, I just want to read actually a section of this. 
since I've told you about Fred, his friend, he writes in this little section of his friendship, he says, now and writes, I remember vividly the day I came to your house, Fred. You had just come to the realization that your marriage had come to an end and your suffering was immense. You saw a life dream evaporate. You no longer had any sense of meaningful future. You felt lonely, guilty, anxious, ashamed, and deeply betrayed. The pain was etched on your face. It was the hardest moment of your life. I happened to be in New York and dropped in on you. What could I say? I knew that any suggestion that you would get over it that there were still good things to think about or that things weren't as bad as they seemed would be completely useless. I knew that the only thing I could do was to be with you, to stay with you, and somehow encourage you not to run away from your pain, but to trust that you had the strength to stand in it. And now many years later, you can say that indeed. You could stand in your pain and grow strong through it. At the moment, it seemed an impossible task. And still, it was the only task to which I could call you. <clears throat> the deep truth is that our human suffering need not be an obstacle to the joy and the peace that we long for, but can become instead a means to it. He said this, the great secret of the spiritual life, the life of the beloved sons and daughters of God, is that everything we live, I, grab my heart, everything we live, be it gladness or sadness, joy or pain, Health or illness can all be part of the journey toward the full realization of our humanity. I, I, when I read that, I thought about a lot of the men that I've had interaction and conversations with over the years at the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission who are coming out of addiction, learning about it, learning about themselves. And a lot of times during the year-long recovery program at the Rescue Mission, things don't go well. I mean, it's not like, you know, just, just sweet music every day. It's hard. And, and they're coming to grips with things that they've done in the past. They're trying to make amends with broken relationships. And, and they live with 40 other men. I mean, it's, you know, there's problems. And, 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 and I, I, I actually... Every time somebody starts to sort of, just privately, like kind of complain or sort of, not, it's not even a complaint, it's just like, ah, oh, this is hard, I, you know, it's really difficult. I, I can't help myself but allow just a small smile to like come onto my face and I can, I'm trying to be understanding but I can always see them like, why are you smiling? This isn't funny, this is really hard. I'm like, yeah, but you know what, it's beautiful because... You're experiencing pain. And just think about it. A month ago, you numbed that with drugs or alcohol. 
six months ago, you ran from that to your drug of choice. And now it hurts and it's hard. And it's really difficult. And you don't have any idea how you're going to get through this. But you're feeling it. You're experiencing what it is to be a human person. How God made you. How God invites you. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He's writing about this so-called thorn in the flesh. Some experience of brokenness. As I've said before, biblical scholars love to surmise just what was his thorn in the flesh, but no one knows for sure. He said, three times, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul writes, I am glad to boast about my weakness. I'm glad to befriend my brokenness so that the power of Christ can work through me. I, I hear the Lord saying to you and to me this morning in the midst of our brokenness, my grace is sufficient. There's some things that he may take. There's some things that may just remain. But his grace is sufficient. Stay the course. Don't run from it. In fact, when everything else is, when everything's telling you else otherwise, lean into it. Let his power be at work in and through you. Befriend your brokenness. The second one that he says, and the last one, is just this idea of being sure to put your brokenness under the blessing. Make sure your sense and experience of brokenness is experienced under the blessing of God and not a sense of curse. Our brokenness is often so frightening to face because we live it under the curse. And what he means by that is this, living our brokenness under the curse means that we experience our pain as a confirmation of the negative feelings about ourselves. It's like saying, I always suspected I was useless or worthless, and now I'm sure of it because this is happening to me. This brokenness is happening because I'm, I deserve it. I'm worthless, useless. It's under the curse. When we've cursed ourselves or have others, ha others have cursed us, it is very tempting to explain all the brokenness we experience as an expression or a confirmation of that. You see, I always knew I was no good. Now I know for sure. The, the great call of the children of the beloved the beloved children of God, the sons and daughters who are dearly loved by God, is to put their brokenness, to pull it away from the shadows of curse and put it under the light of blessing. When we listen attentively to the voice of the, 
the, the one calling us the beloved, it becomes possible to live our brokenness. It, it's not a confirmation of our fear that we're worthless, but it becomes an opportunity then to learn more of ourselves, to even purify and deepen that blessing that rests upon us. You, we heard it. We've been hearing it in John 15. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. This whole pruning idea, I'm not so sure about it. Let's just be honest. It's still trimming. It still hurts. What does it look like? What does it mean? Purifying us. Making us more and more like his son, more and more the people that he called and created us to be, even in our brokenness. Perhaps our brokenness understood as the pruning work of the Father in our lives. Pain lived under the blessing is experienced in ways radically different from pain lived under the curse. He says like this, even a small burden perceived as a sign of our worthlessness, can lead to deep depression. (laughs) However, great and heavy burdens become light and easy when they're lived in the light of blessing. What seemed intolerable becomes a challenge. What seemed a reason for depression becomes a source of purification. What seemed punishment becomes a gentle pruning. What seemed rejection becomes actually a way to deeper communion. So the task for us becomes to allow the blessing to keep working its way into our brokenness and to begin gradually more and more to see our brokenness as an opening toward the, the full acceptance of ourselves as God's Beloved. Um, befriending, I'm, I'm skipping this part, so I'm making a connection here. Uh, befriending our brokenness putting our brokenness under the blessing. Let's be honest. Even as I read them, I thought to myself, and now one acknowledges it, neither of these ways of responding to brokenness make our brokenness any easier, any less painful. In fact, uh, it often makes us more aware of just how deep the wounds are, and he says how unrealistic it is to expect them to vanish. It just, it just brings us more into it. And the reality is that some of us are, even as I talk, are, we understand that some of our brokenness is maybe here for a season, and, and some of it's here for our lifetime. Some of it's just going to be, it's not going anywhere, it, it's not even maybe going to become less. 
And still, he says, embracing it and bringing it into the light of the one who calls us the beloved can make this brokenness shine. Make it shine like a diamond, he says. Glistening. tells a story about some broken glass that catches the reflection of the sun. And he says, I never realized that broken glass can shine so brightly. This is kind of the mystery of our lives. It's the mystery of what it means to live as the beloved of God. 